I encourage you just to open up your Bible or your tablet or whatever it is that you have the Word of God on now as we come to uh, God's Word with the prayer that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to the Lord, our God, our strength, and our Redeemer. To him be all glory, honor, and praise. I wonder, have you ever felt that, and recently, have you felt that your faith is so weak that you don't have the strength to go on as a believer? I've experienced this many, many times in my own life, but also uh, in my life as a minister. Have you ever felt that being a Christian in a world that's hostile towards you is just too hard? Have you, do you ever feel like giving up? Do you wonder if it's really all worth it? Well, dear friends, those struggles have been part of the adventure of faith for every believer since the earliest days of the Christian church. And it's so good that we have the letters of Paul to the Thessalonians to learn from because these are amongst the very earliest of the New Testament writings, dating just to 20 or 30 years after Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine, of course, rose victoriously and returned to heaven uh, to begin his eternal reign as king of all kings. But after he had gone to heaven, times were hard, and times were hard for the members of the fledgling church in that bustling city of Thessalonica that was under strict Roman rule. Before they'd heard the gospel and begun a relationship with Jesus, their main priorities were the pursuit of treasure and leisure and pleasure. Uh, Basically, just like everybody else did then, and most people do now, let's face it. That's what most people who do not know Jesus and are not uh, engrossed in his kingdom, that's what most people are into, treasure, leisure, and pleasure. They were very materialistic. And to make matters worse, the religious groups that they were involved in uh, had very loose moral standards. And as a result, uh, all kinds of sexual sin abounded. And so there were many, many costly sacrifices for these baby Christians to make as they'd heard the gospel message and responded, admitting that all that this world had to offer was just not enough to satisfy their souls, with the result that they were on a steep learning curve now. Boy, can you imagine it? Having lived in a pagan city for all that time, and then you hear about Jesus, and you hear about the gospel, and Paul teaches you about the Sermon on the Mount and what the principles of the kingdom of God are. So these guys were on a steep learning curve about what it meant to be ambassadors for Jesus in a society that they were so familiar with, but that now was becoming uh, rampantly opposed to them. And so they'd had a brilliant time for several weeks after they became Christians because Paul and Silas and Timothy were there with them, and they were able to teach them from their lips and from their lives what to be and what to do as followers of Jesus. And we heard last week about uh, the nature of their ministry, how They played a one-string banjo, the gospel, 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 Jesus, 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 nothing else, because nothing else matters. Nothing else can change sinners into saints. Nothing else can make a difference in this world. And so they played a one-string banjo. They had great passion for the gospel, but also they were passionate for the members of the church. And we hear about Paul's love, about how Uh, He speaks that he loved them like a nursing mother and like a protective father, manifesting the supernatural agape love that binds the church together. 
But suddenly things went all wrong. When, as we read in Acts chapter 17, hardline Jews became furious over their conversions. And mad with jealousy, they rounded up a bunch of brawlers off the streets and soon had an ugly mob terrorizing the city as they hunted down Paul and Silas. And as a result, we read that Paul and Silas had to flee for their lives. So think about these fledgling Christians, these baby Christians. Suddenly they're left with no spiritual leaders, with little fellowship because they're probably afraid and they're meeting, they're just in their own houses, they're not meeting together maybe. And a city that's full of temptations and trials. And it's just so hard. It's just so hard. That's why Paul sat down to write this letter from the uh, city of Corinth where he'd had to flee to because of opposition, uh, repeated opposition and death threats. He wrote this letter uh, after Timothy had been sent back and came back with a report to say things are going well. But he just longed to be with them. He told them that being away from them was like a bereavement that made him feel like an orphan. It's just so good for followers of Christ to be together. And so it's so painful when you're parted. Just a wee reminder uh, to you all, especially to anyone who may be forgetful, um, that tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Don't forget, right? And believe me, there's a world of difference between a kiss on a card and a kiss on the lips, isn't there? There's a world of difference between a kiss on the card and a kiss on the lips. Well, you know what? The pain that, that Paul is expressing here about separation shows us that there's, you know, those yearnings tell us that there's also a massive difference between worshiping at home alone on your computer or your TV and actually being among other believers in the Lord's presence where two or three gather together in his name. There's a massive difference between those two. And so I want to say, especially to those of you who are watching online, if you haven't yet come out to church, I really encourage you to come and be part of the fellowship again. Paul, Paul's letter reminds us that that separation and isolation are very painful. And the baby Christians in Thessalonica found it so hard. But the great news, and here's the great news for all of us, the great news is that Jesus never left them. Jesus never left them. And so even despite their isolation from their spiritual leaders, these baby Christians were still growing in grace by his supernatural internal power. And I want to say this to you if you're a believer tonight. So are you. Hallelujah. So are you. You're still growing too. Why? Because Jesus is with you, he's living in you, and he's working through you. So let that be an encouragement to you. It's good to know. And there's good news for any of you who are finding it hard to be a Christian tonight, because this is not a new problem. Every Christian must learn to face trials of faith and overcome in Jesus' name. And we thank God that the passage that we're looking at tonight gives us three things that empower us to keep going and growing as followers of Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, even during the hard times, assuring us that Jesus will transform all of our tomorrows as we choose to walk with him today. You hear that? Let me say it to you again. Hear this for you. Hear it. Jesus will transform all of your tomorrows as you choose to walk with him today. And these eight verses in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 to 20, 
Paul turns the spotlight away from him and his missionary friends to the members of the fledgling church, and he gives thanks for three amazing blessings that prove that their faith is real and that the Christian life is worth living, even and especially when times get hard. So he thanks God that his word is always at work and to change lives in verses 13 to 16. He also thanks God that these young Christians uh, have been spiritually equipped to stand up for Jesus against harsh opposition as they imitate churches by, uh, by, as they imitate other churches by undergoing suffering, even at the hands of people whom they knew and loved, we read in verses 14 to 16. And lastly, he thanks God for the big picture, that believers are all part of God's glory story, because all of history is his story of his dealings with nations and individuals. And the climax that we look forward to is the big rendezvous party that's going to happen when King Jesus comes back to earth at the Perusia. And that's what makes life worth living for followers of Jesus. The present may be full of trials and disappointments, but because our lives are in Christ Jesus, hear this, the best is always yet to be. How do we remember my church in Port Stewart who always, always said that? And uh, as he got older, uh, he, his, he, he became frailer, and he ended up in a nursing home. And the last time that I saw him in the nursing home, he was lying very frail after a Sunday night service. I went in to see him. And I looked at him. I said, Billy, his name was Billy Bell. I said to him, Billy, how are you doing? Because I always said that, because he always gave the same answer. And he said to me, oh, well, not great, but the best is yet to be. And as he said it, his, his false teeth were moving up and down in his mouth because he'd lost so much weight. Folks, this is the Christian hope. And so let's look at these three things and be encouraged to keep looking up when it's so hard to look out at what's going on in, uh, around us in uh, 2022. And in the first section, in verses 13 to 16, Paul thanks God for the response of newborn believers to, in the church to his all-powerful and ever-working Word of God. The Word of God never stops working. He writes, we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. When he said that, Paul's just re-emphasizing what he'd said at the very beginning of the letter in chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5, where he said, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Isn't that beautiful? God has chosen you. Who, me? Yes, you. He has chosen you. Isn't that glorious? We know uh, he says, we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And so something radical and life-changing had happened as a result of preaching the gospel. And that happens all the time. And that's God's plan for every single believer, every time you hear the word of God, that he would change you. I want you to note the verbs in uh, verses 13 to 16 that speak of the actions that lost sinners take as they avail of and enter into God's rescue plan as they lay hold of Jesus' free gift of salvation. Paul thanks God that they received his words. Do you see that? Not as mere human spouting, but as God's life-changing word. 
That word received is interesting. It, it refers, uh, in the Greek, the word refers to the hearing of the ear, to physical hearing. And so Paul rejoiced that these Thessalonians had stopped whatever they were doing, and they'd listened to what he was saying. They'd listened to the gospel message. They'd listened to what he was preaching. Why? Because somehow they just knew that it was from God. Now, I know that many of you have done that for many, many years. As I look out in your faces, I can see some folk here who, I mean, I was away in Port Stewart for 20 years, and it's so great to be back and to see you all again. And so I know that many of you have listened to thousands and thousands of services, uh, um, sermons and, and services like this. You've heard the Word of God preached. And if you're joining online, maybe this is the very first time, and that's so exciting if that's the case. I pray that the Holy Spirit will help you to understand what I'm talking about here tonight about the Word of God. However, the big, the big thing about this, the big question that you and I need to ask ourselves about this preaching, about this hearing of the Word of God is, so what? So what? Has the preaching of God's Word changed the way that I act or think? Do you ever ask yourself that? Or have you just listened to God's Word and somehow lost it? You all know that Jesus told a very famous parable about just that to help us people to understand how important it really is to respond to his words. Why? Because his words are like supernatural seeds that can produce supernatural fruit in the lives of sinners like you and me. Isn't that exciting? Eh? Supernatural seeds. The life of Christ in you. Wow. That's what the word of God can produce in you if you're willing to ask. But or if you're willing to hear it. But the question is, are you? And so in that well-known story, he describes how each one of our hearts is like one of four types of soil that this supernatural seed is sown into. Here's how Jesus explained the results of that sowing uh, to his followers in Luke chapter 8. You can read it for yourself uh, whenever you have time, and it's important that you understand these things. Jesus says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are people who hear, but then the devil comes and takes it away, the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those in the rocky ground are people who receive the word of God with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on, they're on their way, they're choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But, but, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word and retain the word and persevere by producing a crop. I wonder, having listened to those famous words of Jesus just now, be honest now. Which of those soils best describes your heart tonight? Is your heart like the good soil, hearing and retaining God's word, and by persevering in the power of the Spirit, you produce a crop that glorifies God as you live a life of, uh, full of Christ-like character? We hear about that uh, in Galatians chapter 5, and verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, is that what your life's like because you are responding and receiving the seed of the Word of God? You know, are you going places with Jesus like the Thessalonian believers? 
Or is your heart more like the path or the rocky ground or the thorny ground? Did you notice all the buts in there? But, but, but that deny access to the seed of God's word. Well, listen to me now. I want you to take this seriously because if that describes you, I want to ask you, will you accept that God's word has never yet really grasped you by the throat and challenged you to the point that it could change the whole direction of your life forever? Are you willing to accept that? That's what Jesus says about you. And if so, do you accept Jesus' assertion that you are not a believer in him? You do not know him as your Savior and Lord. And here's the crunch question. If that is the case, here's the exciting thing. Would you like things to change as it did for the Thessalonians who lived in Sin City? Bear that in mind. Before they heard the gospel, they were into treasure, leisure, and pleasure. You know, there was nothing else. But it didn't satisfy them. And so I wonder tonight, are you dissatisfied enough that you would like things to change? Paul thanked God that his word was alive. It challenged and transformed and strengthened those Thessalonians, giving them a new life to live, giving them a new reason to live for. And it will do exactly the same for you. Hear this. If you will submit to its authority. The word that Paul uses that to translate it, it, the, Paul, the word that Paul uses that's translated accepted here in the passage is the key to all of this. Why? Because it's different from the word for receive. The word for receive means you hear with your ears. It goes in there, you hear it, like you're hearing my voice now. But the word accepted refers to an internal response, the response of the heart. It's a word that is otherwise used to describe welcoming a guest into your home. What do you do? You throw the door wide open. You say, come on. And you welcome them right inside. And so that's what Paul's talking about. And he tells us in a later uh, letter in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18 that that's not a natural thing. This is something that God enables you to do and that he alone can open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see what God's word means and accept it as truth for life. And I remember so well, it's interesting to uh, hear uh, Christoph talking about, about Jacob and meeting God in a strange place. Well, I'm, <laughs> I met Jesus in Armour Rugby Club over 40 years ago, at a, just before a disco started, when I was sitting with a pint and a cigarette, and a verse came to my mind out of completely nowhere. I'd been out uh, training with rugby players. I never played rugby. Uh, I was a hockey player, but uh, uh, my, the mates that I was there with uh, were, were training, and I went out to train with them. And I don't know where they were. I was sitting in the bar with a pint of Smithix, but I drank then, and a cigarette, because I smoked like a train then. And uh, suddenly this verse came to me. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And it was as if Jesus was there. And, and as a result of this engagement that I had with Jesus, I yielded my life to him in that place. It's, it's amazing how God works in all sorts of strange places. All those years ago, the word of God gripped my soul, and he began to change my life. Well, you know, I used to be a biology teacher, and so in the light of what we've read tonight, I want to encourage all of you to be script divorced. <laughs> I'm a bit of a nutcase, as you know. But this is the word that I have been encouraging people to be all the way down through uh, my ministry. Why? Because that is what God created you for. I want you to stay with me, okay? 
Herbivores like cows eat plants, don't they? Lions, you know, they're carnivores and they eat meat. But God tells us very, very clearly, firstly in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2 and 3, check it out for yourself, right? And then from the lips of Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 4, here's what God says. Man cannot live by physical bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so Jesus proved that for himself after he had spent 40 days and nights in the barren desert. Do you remember that story? For he was plagued by Satan to commit sin. And please note that on every single occasion, he used the word of God as his defense. And he was victorious on every single occasion. And so, dear Christian friend, I urge you as his disciple to make it your daily priority to be a scriptivore. Why? Because God calls you to read and feed on his word because it will strengthen you inwardly and outwardly. And as you read the Bible, you'll find that all of the people whom God used for his glory were, were people of his book. All through Israel's songbook, the book of the Psalms, we're told repeatedly that God's word is to be given priority. In Psalm 19, for example, David said that it's as sweet as honey. It's more precious than gold. And in Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the whole Bible, the focus of every single stanza in that chapter is about God's word. And the most famous one is, uh, the most famous verse is the verse that I learned whenever I was a wee young boy uh, that is something that I cherished whenever I became a Christian in my 20s. Verse 109 of Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you're not reading God's word, what does that say? Where are you? You're in darkness. You don't know where you're going. Your word's a light unto, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And verse 11 is the one that I love the best. Why? Because in verse 11... The writer says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Isn't that beautiful? Are you struggling with temptation right now? Is there something that's really, really gripping you and you don't know how to overcome? Well, you can't in your own, but you can with God. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Try it. See if it works. I tell you, I encourage you to learn that verse and pray it out loud every time temptation comes along. God's word's so powerful, it doesn't just lead, lead us to Jesus to find rescue from our life of sin. It equips us spiritually to live in, in a way that honors him and blesses others. And so it enables us to fulfill God's plan for us because that's what he wants. He wants us to glorify him and to bless others. God's word enables us to do that. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul tells his young, young friend Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed. So there's your reason for reading it. This ain't any ordinary book, folks. All Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. And is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. It deals with every need that we have. And that's why it's still the best-selling book in the whole world. I checked on Google last night to see if that was the case. It is. And so, like Paul, we all should thank God for the work of his all-powerful word that changes our lives day by day. And so, if you haven't already done so, then would you consider joining other members of the church here uh, by reading the Bible book by book? Last month, 
uh, it was the book of Genesis. This month, we're reading through the book of Matthew. You can start and do that with other believers. I encourage you to do that. And if you would like to find help with that, then why not consider joining one of the discipleship groups that meets every other Wednesday night where you can discuss and discover what God might want to do in and through your life. And so if you'd like to find out about that, then speak to Christoph or get on to Church Suite and you'll get all the information. And so the first encouragement in this passage is that God's word is alive and it strengthens us to keep on as followers of Jesus. But the second encouragement comes from the discovery that if you are being persecuted for being a Christian, and this is a, an increasingly common thing now, and so we need, to, we need to prepare ourselves for this. We need to become strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Because if you are being persecuted for being a Christian at home or at school, at work or, or elsewhere, then hear this, you're not alone. In fact, you're taking your place in the spiritual warfare that has always existed where followers of Jesus make a stand for him. Paul thanked God that even baby Christians are spiritually equipped to stand up for Jesus against opposition. Why he says how they imitate other churches by undergoing suffering, even at the hands of people whom they know and love. Your own people, Paul says. Can you imagine how painful that was for these baby Christians? But we must face up to this. Whenever you become a follower of Jesus by turning from your sinful ways and turning to Jesus for new life, you'll soon discover that the enemy of your soul who once broke into your life to steal and destroy all that was good through a whole range of selfish, sinful things involving treasure, leisure, and pleasure. But whenever you become a Christian, he'll try to break into your life by causing people to mock you, to abuse you mentally, emotionally, physically, socially, so that he can disable your effectiveness as a witness for Jesus. He'll drive fear into you in every way that he can, knowing that fear will immobilize you as an ambassador for Jesus. Do you know what that feels like? It's hard. What can I do about that, you ask? How can I be bold like Paul and his friends as a follower of Jesus? Well, we thank God that Paul helps us with that. He writes, you became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things that those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. But Paul then goes on to describe how they displease God and are hostile to everyone. And we read about how what they do, as a result of it, they always heap up their sins to the limit and the wrath of God has come upon them at last. What's the importance of that for us? Well, in verses 14 to 16, Paul spells out that religion kills. Religion is where people think that they know how to please God. The world is full of religion. And Satan uses sinful people's attempts to please a holy God by making them so smug and so proud and so self-righteous that they don't need or want Jesus. And they'll stop at nothing to prevent Christians like you and me from telling others about Jesus. But Paul makes it clear that the baby Christians in Thessalonica, that we to, to them that we don't need to waste our time or our energy by trying to oppose them. Don't get bitter about that. Don't seek revenge. Why? Because God sees and knows it all. 
And we read here that they will experience his wrath in due season. There'll come a time when God says, enough. And he'll deal with his enemies and our enemies. Revenge is his. So don't let that bother you. You know, I've met so many Christians in the past couple of years who've been terrorized by enemies of Christ's kingdom that they have retreated into gospel silence and they've lost the joy of Christian witnesses as a result. I wonder, does that describe you tonight? Because it's got harder and harder for Christians in the past couple of years. Well, if that's the case, I want to encourage you to find a way back. And one of the best ways to do that whenever you're in a rut is just to stop and to ask some basic questions. And the most basic question that we as Christians need to ask ourselves, if you're gripped with fear tonight, the question you need to ask yourself is, where does my crippling fear come from? Where's it coming from? The scriptures tell us that it's not from God. It's not from God. And listen to this, if it's not from God, why, why are you letting it control you? Why? Please hear 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 with your heart tonight. Paul, these are the words of Paul who came alongside Timothy, who was a guy who was having a hard time and he was thinking about giving up. He reminded him this, that God has not given us the spirit of fear. There you go, it's not from God. God has not given us the spirit of fear. What, the, what has he given us? He has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so, dear fearful friend, if you'll allow God to write that truth upon your heart today and every day, then the power of the Holy Spirit will quench ungodly fears in you. And he'll give you supernatural wisdom so that you can think critically about what's going on around you with a sound mind. You can watch and pray as Jesus calls you to, growing in holy boldness and allowing his agape love to fill you, to thrill you, and to spill out of you, bringing love and joy and peace and all of those lovely things, the fruit of the Spirit, to bear on the lives of people around you who are crippled with fear. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that ungodly opposition is rooted in spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare can only be won using spiritual weapons. Please hear that. Paul tells us that despite repeated efforts, Satan prevented them from returning to Thessalonica. But please note this, that even though Satan tried to stop them getting to Thessalonica, that still didn't stop him and his friends from being ambassadors for Jesus, from spreading the gospel about him. They all kept going. How did they? Because Paul was a scriptivore, that's why. Who applied the truth that he wrote in Ephesians 6 to his own heart and his own mind. He looked to Jesus for victory and he won victory after victory. And that's what you and I must do in these days of crazy wokeness and fake news and cancel culture and so much more. And so please hear, hear the words of Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. Finally, says Paul, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the evil schemes. For it, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's what the devil wants to make us think. So that we'll spend all our time getting angry with people and bitter against people and all that stuff. No, 
Our battle, is, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, says Paul, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that when the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, it will come, and it will come again and again. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. And so he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Where do you find the truth? In the word of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The belt of truth buckled around your waist. The breastplate of righteousness in place. Your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. He makes you ready to proclaim Jesus. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. God provides it all. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray, pray, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Dear friends, these baby Christians were able to cope with the pain of persecution because they looked at their brothers and sisters in Judea and they saw how the Spirit of God made them strong to stand. And they said, well, if they can be strong, we can be strong too. And so if you're struggling, I want to encourage you to do two things. The first thing I want to encourage you is to get online and look for a book called The Fox's Book of the Martyrs. Fox's Book of the Martyrs. You can find a free PDF of it if you look on Google. It's a book of stories of ordinary Christians like you and like me who lived and many of them died serving their extraordinary Lord as martyrs. Read their stories, and you'll be bold, and you'll be emboldened. But the second thing, and it's, I mean, always, always, always in cases like this, the best place to go whenever you really, really want help with something is to go to someone who's right in the middle of it right now. This morning, Christoph spoke and prayed for the people of Afghanistan. Just now, we're going to pause and look at a wee video of an Afghani Christian and wait till you hear what they've got to say. They haven't given up. So, our world was lost. Something was not understood. जिस रात तालबान काबुल में आए थे, उसी रात मेरी बहन ने अपने बेटे को जन्म दिया था। बिचारे का क्या मुस्तकबिल होगा? ना अपने मज़ब को समझ सकेगा, ना औरत की इज्जत को। उसके मुस्तकबिल में अभी बहुत कुछ पड़ा है। खौफ इस बात का है कि अब हम तालबान के रहमों पर हम पर होंगे, 
وہ طالبان جو صرف نظریے کے اختلاف کے باعث قتل کو فرض سمجھتے تھے ہر گھر میں ہماری تلاشی کر رہے ہیں اور اگر ہم میں سے انہیں کوئی مل جائے وہی اسے قتل کر دیتے ہیں اور پتہ نہیں انہیں کس نے ایمانداروں کے بارے میں بتا دیا ہے ہمارے ایماندار ہم سارے بھاگ چکے ہیں پتہ نہیں وہ کدھر ہیں کیا وہ ٹھیک ہوں گے پتہ نہیں کس دن یہ ہمارے دروازے پر آ جائیں گے ڈر لگتا ہے کہ ان لوگوں کے آنے سے پہلے کہیں بھوک ہی نہ ہمیں مار دے تین روز سے ایک ہی دال کی کٹوری پہ میرا پورا خاندان گزارا کر رہا ہے اب سمجھ نہیں آ رہی کہ کل کیا کھائیں گے کیونکہ دال بھی ختم ہونے کو ہے بہت دل کرتا ہے کہ ہم اسی طرح اپنے ایماندار بہن بھائیوں کے ساتھ اپنے خدا کی پرستش کریں اس کے حضور سر چکائیں پر اب یہ ممکن نہیں ہم صرف اپنے بزرگ کو رات کی تاریکی میں ہم سے ملنے کی اجازت دیتے ہیں تاکہ نہ ان کو کوئی دیکھ سکے نہ ہمیں ہمارا ایمان اسی پر ہے اور مرتے دم تک رہے گا اے خدا آسانی پیدا کر مجھ میں اتنی ضرورت نہیں کہ میں اپنی خوشی اپنے غم اور اپنے مسائل سے آپ کو روشناس کرا سکوں حسین نے ہمیں بے شک مشکلیں برداشت کرنے کو بلایا ہے جب انہوں نے مسیح کو نہیں چھوڑا تو ہمیں کیسے چھوڑیں گے لیکن میں یہ جانتی ہوں کہ میرا مسیح اور آپ کا مسیح ایک ہے اور ہم دعا کے ذریعے ایک دوسرے کے ساتھ جڑے ہوئے ہیں کیونکہ ہم مسیح کا بدن ہیں خدا آپ پر ہماری مشکلات عیاں کرے گا But even though those people are going through absolute hell on earth right now, please see that they're holding on. They're choosing to follow Jesus, it says. Why? Here's the answer, and especially for any of you who are not a Christian, the answer is that they're choosing to follow Jesus because Jesus is worth living and dying for. That's why. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so these young Christians looked at the their fellow Christians in Judea, and they saw they were going through hard times, but the Lord enabled them to be strong. And so the, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same in Bangor as he is in Bangladesh, as he is in Afghanistan, as he is in all those countries where there's brokenness. If you'd like to find more testimonies like that, get onto your computer and look up the Open Doors website, and you'll find there more testimonies, but I really want to encourage you, as Christoph did this morning, we need to support these people now. Some of these brothers and sisters are going to die if we don't do something to help them. And so it's our bounden duty to do that. So number one encouragement was that the Word of God keeps working in the lives of believers. So we read God's Word, and He makes us strong. 
Encouragement number two is that yes, perse persecution is real, but it's always been real for God's people. And so as we look at other Christians and see how they're able to be strong, we don't have enter, enter, enter pity parties. We don't do like Elijah did. No, 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 no. The key here is togetherness. We look at other believers and we see that the Lord makes us strong. And so as we learn from each other, we grow together. This is the church. We are the body of Christ. You heard her say that. But in the end of the day, what is it really, really that excites us as a Christian? The answer is Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And whenever Jesus comes back, there's going to be no more pain, no more separation, none of the uh, persecution, none of those things that have put us down and held us down and made life difficult for us in these difficult times that we've been going through. Paul talks about the return of Jesus, and he talks about how his joy and his crown will be whenever he sees these young, fledgling Thessalonian Christians who were pagans, he sees them being transformed. He sees that they've got the light of Christ in them. And he says, guys, one day, one day, we're going to have the best party that you can ever imagine. The rendezvous party when Jesus comes back. Are you looking forward to that? Do you believe in that? Because if you do, then like the Thessalonians, you also will be able to stand. And so I pray, I pray that you may keep your heart warmed and fed through the Word of God. I pray that you may not allow fear to enter in, but that you may know that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of of a sound mind. God is going to enable you to get through every challenge that you must face. He will not fail you as he was with Daniel in the lion's den, as he was with Joseph in prison, you know, as he was with wee Ruth whenever she had to go to the king. Our God is their God. Jesus is with you. And the really exciting thing is He's coming back. He's coming back. So when it's hard for you to look around, keep looking up. Keep looking up. This is the Christian hope. Thanks be to God.